blessing to worship with you all today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Sam. I am the church plant resident here at Country Bible. And as I like to establish, um, although I won't be here very long, for those of you who are saved, children of God, I, uh, I assume we'll be stuck together for eternity, and so I'd love to meet you now. So if you, uh, if you see me around, please say hi. Love to meet you. Um, so today's passage is Romans 10. It's verses 14 through 16, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible today, there should be one sitting in the pew around you. If you make a big enough fuss, you'll definitely get one handed to you. All right. And it's a little bit ironic, actually, because this passage today is about the, uh, the importance of preaching and gospel preaching specifically. And the reason I say it's ironic is because of all the guys here who normally preach, I actually have the least amount of experience. Um, so it's kind of funny. I've been preaching since, it's for a Sunday service expository uh, preaching since January. That's when I did my very first uh, sermon actually over at uh, Sower Church. We have the Whitney family from Sower Church here today. As, as Mike is on his sabbatical, he's supposed to not be working. But anyway, um, so I'm at... Uh, at church sort of preparing before this sermon and one of my mentors named John was was meeting me there and I said John I'm a little bit nervous this is basically all the pastors who were commissioning me to come down here all the elders from Country Bible were there um, except for Dean because someone had to preach here Uh, (laughs) someone had to be here and uh, I said I'm I'm a little bit nervous at this could you give me any advice and he said what are you nervous about I said I just want to be good and he said, uh, don't be good. You shouldn't, you shouldn't focus on that. He said, everyone who starts something is, is bad at it to begin with. But be faithful to the scriptures and always preach Christ. That was his advice to me. And this advice caused me to begin uh, listening to a modern hymn called Christ the True and Better every time I drive to go preach somewhere. So I listened to it this morning when I was coming here. Uh, And it's just a a motivation, that song, if you've never listened to it, Christ the True and Better. And it ties the whole Bible together with Jesus being the true narrative. And I'll just read the first verse to you here today. It's Christ the True and Better Adam, Son of God and Son of Man, who when tempted in the garden, never yielded, never sinned. He who makes the many righteous brings us back to life again. Dying, he reversed the curse then rising, crushed the serpent's head. And the last thing that my mentor told me was, the church doesn't need any more good preachers. There's a lot of those already. It needs more gospel preachers. And that's what the sermon is about today, and that's what the passage is about today. So Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14, going through verse 17 How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
in summary, in brief summary, we must preach and the gospel must be the subject of our preaching. So let's start with the gospel itself. Let's get this pegged down because the book of Romans specifically, I love how it, how it starts. It starts in Romans chapter 1. One of the major themes of that chapter is that all of creation glorifies God. In other words, you cannot be a human being existing within creation and not know of a divine creator. Um, and it's sort of a, a cute little saying. Atheists don't believe in God, which is ironic because God doesn't believe in atheists. And it's, we think it's, it's cute, and it is, kind of. Um, but there's biblical truth in that. That's what it teaches in Romans chapter 1. You cannot be here uh, existing and not know of God. It's different to believe intellectually versus believing it truly in your soul. You can intellectually talk yourself out of God, but you cannot disbelieve in him within your soul. Now, the unspoken reality of the secular humanist worldview can often be summarized as simply, there is no God and I hate him. Now, and that's another cute saying that we use sometimes. That's, that's what is stated. But J.D. Greer, he's a, a pastor out in North Carolina, has a really good analogy he, uh, he gives us on this. And the analogy is, it's like you're swimming in a body of water. If you have a beach ball, you can manipulate that beach ball to be underneath the water by sitting on it. Or I don't know how to do that. Ask a dad on Father's Day. They all figure that out somehow usually. But... You can get that beach ball below the surface so you can't see it, so no one can see it, but the only reason you've got it under the surface is because you're sitting right on top of it. The same is true of God and his existence. So according to the scriptures, God is revealed through all of creation, yet this passage tells us that Christ is revealed through the gospel preached. But what is the gospel exactly? And before anyone asks, isn't this basic? Like, isn't this what we talk about a lot? Why do we have to go over this again? Or, okay, I'm saved, so why do I need to keep talking about the gospel? Well, the gospel, I would say, is not basic. Rather, the gospel is essential to the Christian life. One of the most fatal errors that a preacher or a church can make is to assume knowledge of the gospel, to assume that sinners know, even church-sitting sinners know what you're talking about. I was listening to a church service just this last week. Uh, if you're wondering what I do in my free time, uh, when I'm driving, when I'm commuting through country roads and stuff, I listen to literally every church in a 40-mile radius of here. Some people like true crime. I listen to churches. Um, and part of this encouraged me as someone who loves church planting, that there is a need for the gospel. Part of this just, just broke my heart. I was listening to a church service, and I, they mentioned God plenty of times. They might have even said Jesus once or twice. But through every song, through every liturgy, through every sermon, everything that was done during that service, there was no mention of the gospel itself. So I have no choice but to draw the conclusion that at least in this 
region, this one church, we have an entire gathering. I mean, look around like this. We have one of these somewhere right now, and there's no gospel amongst the people. So one of my goals, personal goal in ministry is to, by the grace of God, never fall into the trap of the error of assumption. So let's ask it again. What is the gospel? We were created good by a flawless and a sovereign God who created us not because he needed us, but because it would glorify him to create us. And we must also draw that conclusion because God is perfectly sufficient in all of his ways, and he was so before the creation of the universe, that he created us also because he loves us. But man sinned, as outlined in Genesis 3, we disobeyed God knowingly, and when sin entered the world, everything changed. We were now in the dark and without hope, but our God was never and will never leave us hopeless. You see, everything that we demand God to be, like using layman's terms, he's totally good, he's always present, he's always knowing, he's all-powerful. See, all of those things that we love about God creates a real problem for us as sinners. The evil we brought into the world was great. His wrath against our evil was great. And yet, his plans were greater. He raised up a nation of chosen people called Israel, and amongst that nation, he provided prophets to share his words and commands with them. And these prophets would share of a good news that was coming, a Messiah, someone to save us from ourselves. Then one day, a man was born of a virgin who was so much more than a man. He was God in flesh, and they called him Jesus he was the second person in our trinity. He lived amongst us, faced every challenge and every temptation of this world, conquering sin victoriously. He suffered. He was crucified on the cross, taking our sin upon his own shoulders. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose in victory over death itself. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he sent the Holy Spirit to live within the souls of all who repent and believe in him that they might be unified with the Father once again. Through his finished work on the cross, he has made a way for us to go from dead in our sins to alive in Jesus Christ. By grace, we have been saved through faith. By accepting the free gift of his finished work on the cross, we are saved forevermore. The Apostle Paul writes a shorter and more concise version of this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. But in hearing the gospel, there's this unfortunate result to sort of fall into two different camps that are like the gospel, but they're not the gospel consistently. The first camp is we make the gospel too small. This is the, the gospel of the Jesus insurance policy. It's where you did the paperwork, you paid the fee, and now you have a little piece of paper you get to keep in your back pocket in case something happens, right? This is the gospel that just, it's, it's for the hot place in case the hot place is real, you know? The good news is more than that. The gospel is the truth 
of Christ, which if you live your life under its truth, will permeate you, change you, restore you into new life through the Holy Spirit. So we have the insurance policy gospel. Well, then we have the gospel plus. See, if we subtract from the gospel, we lose. And if we add to the gospel, we also lose the meaning of the gospel. Nick Rourke, in his book on biblical theology, writes of four false gospels that the church most commonly embraces. And of course, there's more false gospels, if you can call them gospels, than this. But this is a start. These are some common ones we see in the United States and around the world, really. First is the prosperity gospel. This is where Jesus is an end to earthly means. Preaching that God's plan for your life is health and wealth and happiness. A gospel that avoids the fact that most of the New Testament authors died painfully as martyrs for their faith. A gospel is not the gospel if it isn't equally true for every human being on the planet, whether you live in the suburbs of Houston or the jungles of the Congo. Jesus plus prosperity. Then we have the civil gospel. Civil gospel is when the church worships the state or its fictional utopian narrative of what the state might one day be with little to no attention to Jesus Christ. Now in the next couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating the 4th of July and it'll become really uh, common and noticeable that some churches really just want to worship the United States. They'll be waving American flags in the service and singing songs about how much we love America and how America uh, will save us from our sins and, and all of that. Uh, one of the blessings of Country Bible is that you guys don't do that. Um, last 4th of July, actually, I remember because I was a faithful live streamer here, uh, even though my work was at a, a different church, but uh, I remember Dean preached on Isaiah 6, which is, for lack of a better word, a gangster sermon to preach on July 4th about the awesomeness of our God. It's really, really cool. But it's Jesus plus the state. I love the United States of America. I do not want to live anywhere else. Every time I leave the United States, I want to come back. And every time I come back, I feel a burden lifted off my shoulders. I feel happier for being here. But although the United States is an awesome country and I love it here, it's a really crummy savior. Last one, or second to last, rather, is the, the soup kitchen gospel. Remember how I was saying I listened to all these little church service live streams? Well, I was, I was listening to one, and they were talking about a missions team that they had sent out. And this missions team, I was so excited because I was like, they're, they're going to talk about lives changed. Like, they're going to talk about people going from dead in their sins to alive in Christ through the spreading of the gospel. And instead, all they had was stories of, like, making sandwiches for people and distributing food. And that's all really great stuff. You might think, doesn't Jesus want us to do those things? Like, isn't that the gospel? Well, charity is something that flows from the Christian based off of the work that Christ does within us. Charity itself is not the gospel. So Jesus plus charity. So last, the immorality-affirming church. That's the church that changes temperature with the culture. It's always waxing and waning into a position of comfort. Now, Jesus was a friend to sinners. And if we are to be like Jesus Christ, that is a requirement of ourselves. We must be a friend to sinners. But the difference is 
When Jesus was a friend to sinners, he drew them closer to himself and he changed them. They conformed to be like him. He didn't conform to be like them. When they would leave, he'd say, go and sin no more. And he did this in a winsome way, in an attractive way that's really difficult for us to grasp in our sin. But we can do it if we follow him, if we follow his, his word and his truth of the gospel. But we do not conform to sin, no matter how comfortable it can make us within our culture. The gospel of Jesus plus sin. Now, I didn't go through these four gospels to show some kind of weird us versus them superiority thing. I did this to show just how common false gospels are in the world, and more importantly, how easy it is to shift into a false gospel, really for any of us. We let our guard down. We let pride creep in. We let patriotism take superiority over godliness. We compromise for the sake of our own personal acceptance. And before we know it, we're not preaching the gospel anymore. And if we aren't preaching the gospel, what this passage is saying is that they aren't hearing the gospel. How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? Church, we must preach Christ crucified. Now, the other part of what this passage is saying is very convicting, almost in a way that's a little bit difficult for all of us, I think. It's that we need to become preachers of the word. The word of Christ is what the passage says. And you can really substitute the word preach in this passage for the word proclaim. Like when Paul is writing preach, he's not talking about what I'm doing right now necessarily. That's lumped in there. He's talking about every time you share the good news. In other words, he could be saying evangelize. Have you ever heard the phrase preach the gospel always and sometimes use words? Wow, everyone has. That's great. Uh, this passage says totally the opposite. Basically, it says that's, that's not true. Uh, the passage says that if we believers don't preach, then they, unbelievers, don't hear. And if they don't hear, they will never believe and they will never be saved. We have no authority to leave people in the dark. And this passage, you know, it's a passage that seems to call out to all believers to remind us of what Jesus said after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven. We as Christians, we can sometimes find ourselves guilty of saying, oh, well, you know, it'll all work out. I don't need to make evangelism a real priority. And the Holy Spirit's going to do what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And there is some truth to that. We have to be able to, to rest in Christ confident that he's just, but we also need to feel convicted to do what he has asked us to do. Namely, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now one passage that's right along the lines of this topic that's been personally convicting to me is Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 where it writes, he, he being Jesus, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In other words, it's not the exclusive pastoral job to be evangelizing. Rather, their job is to evangelize as a member would, but the greater role is actually to train and mobilize the church into becoming a church of many preachers, so to speak. Now, Country Bible here, you guys, I don't know if this is a spoiler alert or anything. Now they're on the edge of their seats. Um, is about to go through the book of Acts as soon as this series, current series, is over. Unless Brad has some sort of weird vision in Columbia and changes his mind. I don't know what he's doing down there. But as you go through Acts, I want you guys to take note of all the examples we have of non-elders who are preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and really suffering the consequence for it, but also reaping the heavenly reward for it. A couple of my favorite examples. First, we have Philip. Philip in Acts chapter 8, he's best known for uh, the person who shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was not, uh, this specific Philip, was just known as Philip the Evangelist. We know he's one of the first deacons that was appointed, but is he an apostle? This guy? No. Uh, was he an elder? Not that we know of. Uh, his job was to distribute food to widows. That was his formal role within the church. And yet, he hears the word of the Lord. He goes to a chariot. He sees an Ethiopian eunuch. I wonder how common that was back in the day. Hey, look, an Ethiopian eunuch. Hey, what you reading, Isaiah? Mind if I explain something to you? And before you know it, the eunuch is saved, he is baptized, and he heads down to Ethiopia. And as far as we know, according to tradition, the church that was started by that Ethiopian person still remains to this day. And the Lord used Philip. Philip the guy. Philip the evangelist. Then we have Stephen. Stephen is one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. Stephen, who his courageous speech in Acts chapter 7 is one of the best sermons ever given. Again, Stephen, deacon, his job, give food to widows. That's his office within the church. And yet, he preached himself to death. He was preaching to the Jews. They became angry. He continued to preach. They continued to stone him. He continued to preach. Until he looked to the heavens and he said, I see the Lord Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father. See, guys, I'm worried about sharing the gospel with disinterested suburbanites. Maybe I need to read Stephen a little bit more. See, when we read about the responsibilities of church offices, we can glean that certain jobs are only for certain roles, but evangelism is different. Evangelism is the responsibility of every single believer. A congregation, no matter how large or small, who's committed to proclaiming the gospel can do so much more for the kingdom than a single pastor who is an expert preacher. Yes, pastors are to proclaim the gospel, but so are mechanics, teachers, lawyers, farmers, retirees, truck drivers, artists, coaches, builders, police officers, firemen, lawyers, poets, bankers, plumbers, electricians. We're talking about the whole 
unified body of Jesus Christ. If you ask me what I've enjoyed most about being with all of you, like these last five and a half months or so, this is what I tell people. What, what do you love about being with Country Bible Church? I would say, I love being with the people, whether it is large Sunday gathering like we have today, or it's a small group, or it's a Bible study, or just a few guys getting together, or one-on-one. I love being with the people. And if I get asked, what's the best thing about Country Bible Church? That's another really easy question to answer. I would say the people at Country Bible Church have an abundance of love and knowledge and appreciation for the authority of the scriptures. But there's one thing that makes it really hard when we get this massive authority that the scriptures deserve. And it's that we can take that authority and take our love for it and our love for what the scriptures are and we can have that intimidate us to the point where we don't feel worthy to preach the word of God like we are commanded to do. Instead, we should take that authority and we should say, Lord, I have no choice. You've commanded me to be a proclaimer of your gospel. And I've had a couple conversations that are just a, just a blessing where I get to sit down with someone and say, you know what, I think you right now could start leading a Bible study or you could start taking someone, an, an unbeliever or a, a young Christian through a book of the Bible and shepherding them and discipling them. And often what I hear is, Sam, what if I make a mistake? Like, what if I get something wrong? Then that person's off forever. What do I do? You guys, back in the book of Acts, we have an example of this. If you guys want to turn to Acts chapter 18, I love this. I love this. This is what's going to happen to you if you're faithfully serving the Lord, discipling somebody, and you make a mistake. Ready? Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Some translations there actually say mighty in the scriptures. That would be awesome to have the Bible say you were mighty in the scriptures. Anyway, let's uh, let's proceed. Verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John, meaning he only knew a partial gospel. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they called down fire from the heavens to consume Apollos, and there was nothing left of him. That's not what it says, actually. (laughs) Redo. Here's what actually happens. (laughs) Some of you were following along. Uh, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." We, I'm talking pastors, elders, fellow believers in the church. By the way, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. 
we would so love to have the conversation of you are so faithfully pursuing your job to proclaim the word of God that you've made a little mistake. We will meet you with all the wrath of Priscilla and Aquila. All right? You can count on that. All right. I got a cheesy ending here. You ready? The cheese is about to ooze. It's coming for you. If you want to please your heavenly father on Father's Day, that was it. If you want to please your heavenly father this Father's Day, commit to become a believer who proclaims the word of Christ. There's not a believer in this building who, if they devoted themselves to the scriptures and put concentrated effort into seeking out the lost or the new believers who prayerfully followed Christ into a greater knowledge of him, could not be leading a Bible study or a discipleship group or a community group or taking someone else, someone who does not know Christ, along in the scriptures with you and sharing the gospel with them. No one in this room could not get there at least within the next one or two years. And in closing, I want us to just imagine what that would even look like. How amazing would that be? What would this church, what would this body look like if we all took it upon our shoulders to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all who would hear it? Let's pray. Father, we love you so deeply. We're thankful that in our sins, you did not leave us alone. You did not leave us desperate. But Father, that you made a way for us to be saved. Father, we know there are people in this room here who are hurting today, especially on this holiday on this Father's Day. Some are having a day of great joy. Some are having a day of mourning. Some are just working through the idea that Father's Day is different for them now because of changes that are happening in their life. Lord, we pray that anyone with those thoughts today would cling to you, would cling to the good news that we read in the scriptures through your Son. And Father, we pray that you would mobilize the Holy Spirit amongst the people. Lord, to all of the faithful people serving right now at Country Bible Church, Lord, thank you for their community groups that they are leading. Thank you for the shepherding that is taking place. Thank you so much for the discipleship that is being done right now, Lord. Thank you for the faithful servants that you have brought into this church. Lord, we pray that you would just, just extend this blessing Spread it throughout the entirety of the church, Lord. Mobilize us for the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.